This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. The Marvels is the latest movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to hit theaters. It's one of the breezier Marvel outings full of energy and jokes and zappy light powers. It stars Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Iman Vellani as the characters they played in Captain Marvel, WandaVision, and Ms. Marvel, respectively. When their powers become entangled, they start switching places whenever they try to use them. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about The Marvels on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is Ronald Young Jr. He is the host of the film and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater, and the podcast, Wait for It. Hey, Ronald. Hello, Glenn. Also with us is Daisy Rosario. She's senior supervising producer of Audio at Slate, where she works with shows like Outward, Slate's LGBTQ show. Hey, Daisy. Hey, Glenn. Let's get to it. A warning, the word Marvel is going to be getting a serious workout. (laughs) Case in point, The Marvels is a sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel and also brings in characters from Marvel's TV series. Brie Larson once again plays Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel. She's out tootling around the cosmos, saving lives and planets with her powers to absorb energy and shoot photon blasts. But when a space anomaly causes her powers to become entangled with two Marvel characters with similar light-based powers, you got your movie. First, there's Monica Rambeau, Carol's niece from the first film, now grown up and played by Tiona Paris. We last saw her in Marvel's Disney Plus series WandaVision, where she acquired the ability to manipulate the electromagnetic spectrum or something. Iman Vellani plays Kamala Khan. She can turn light into solid objects and is Carol's number one superfan. We were introduced to her in the series Ms. Marvel. Whenever any of these three women use their powers at the same time, they trade places. Hijinks, as you may imagine, ensue. Also along for the ride is Nick Fury again, played by Samuel L. Jackson. He is now running Saber, which is a space station protecting the Earth from alien threats. One such threat is Dar Ben, played by Zawi Ashton. She's a leader of the despotic alien race, the Kree, who is determined to save her home planet of Hala. She wants to bring Hala back. She is a Hollaback girl. <laughs> the Marvels is directed by Nia DaCosta, who also directed the recent Candyman sequel. It is in theaters now. Ronald, kick us off. What'd you think? You know, I went into this movie with low expectations. Many people did. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, I think uh, that probably did it some favors, mm-hmm. and I liked it a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've been craving a team-up for a while. It's been too many years mm-hmm. since anyone has teamed up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. They keep doing cameos, but mm-hmm. we needed a team. They put the right team together. They had the right chemistry. It was enjoyable from beginning to end. There were some problems. It was not perfect. But in terms of Marvel doing this type of outing, this movie probably should have been done like two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. And they probably have a lot more good favor than they have right now. As far as I'm concerned, this is the best Marvel film since Spider-Man No Way Home. That's my hot take. It is a hot take. Now, Daisy, uh, Ronald mentioned the buzz around this film, which was not good. What would you make of it? I enjoyed it a lot. There were a lot of moments that I loved and I loved the characters, like the main characters. There was just such a great dynamic between them. You know, I think to Ronald's point about like a team up, Marvel has kept putting characters in movies together, but they weren't teams. Exactly. That's true. The difference between that dynamic of like these people need to work together and they all have different motivations and different understandings of where they are. I thought that was a great thing to build on. And then, I mean, I can't say enough good things about Iman Vellani. Like she's just 
incredible. She was just so charming and such an expressive face. Heart and soul of the movie. Heart and soul. Absolute heart and soul of the movie. And that's the thing. I think like this movie has some heart and soul. Mm -hmm. That is very much what has been missing from this latest phase of Marvel movies. So I, I, I didn't think it was a great movie. And we'll get into more of the specifics as we continue the conversation. But like, I really enjoyed it. It, it wasn't as good as I hoped it would be, but it was much better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it's so great to watch characters bounce off of each other thoughtfully. Yeah. Now, Linda, this was your introduction to Kamala Khan. Uh, what'd you think of the movie? I really liked this a lot. Uh-huh. I was actually surprised. I wasn't paying much attention to the buzz for this. And I was surprised to find out sort of after the fact that it had been so negative because I really thought this was fun. I go to Marvel movies for them to be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as Daisy said, fun and sort of with some feelings. And so the more complicated it gets, the less I care about it. And also like the more heavy it is, the less I care about it. This is the fun Marvel movie. This is more the Ant-Man tone. It's more the Guardians tone. It's more interested in being fun and deeply felt than it is in being epic, which I appreciated. And that shows in the fact that it's an hour and 45 minutes long. Yes. I really liked this. And as you've already said, look, Iman Vellani is wonderful. Tiana Paris is wonderful. Brie Larson is wonderful. I love these three characters. I was so excited every time they were all together. You just want to see them hang out. Mm -hmm. And I also think the introduction of Kamala Khan as um, this super fan of Captain Marvel kind of gives this gentle, good-natured feel to the fact that, like, superheroes are supposed to be fun. Yeah. And wonderful and inspiring to people. And that's what it's supposed to be for. And so when you bring in this teenage girl who is herself, you know, has powers, but mostly she's just really excited about meeting her hero. I don't want to spoil anything too much, but like there are just some absolutely wonderful and very weird set pieces that I really loved. And I was like, this is way weirder than I would have (laughs) thought Marvel, a Marvel movie was going to go. I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, it's the energy and it is those weird set pieces. And I went into this with the buzz in the back of my head. And one of the reasons I think I enjoyed it to the extent I did was because as I was watching it, I thought about the buzz and the people who made that buzz and how much, this movie is going to make the right people angry because it goes places in terms of silliness and without spoiling anything with a certain musicality that 14-year-old old bros who have already decided they're going to hate this movie, they're going to feel fully right. justified. And and bully for them, yes. they should have those small victories in life. Yeah. This, as you guys have said, this is lighter touch Marvel. This is full-out comic Marvel. It's my favorite Marvel 31 flavor. <laughs> but I sat there wondering why I was enjoying this so much as opposed to Ant-Man Quantumania. Uh, which is also in the same mode, but that movie felt so listless. And then it just uh, comes down to what you all have said, the energy here. There is a fresh energy. Now, it is a very insistent, ingratiating, puppy-like energy to the humor. Uh, this film is determined that you will find it charming. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's bringing Kamala Khan energy, basically. And yes, that can come off a bit sweaty, but it's better than that than uh, too cool for school. You know what I mean? I like to see work put in. Yeah. Can you, any of you put a finger on what sets this apart from something like Ant-Man? What makes this work better? Well, I think in general, they clearly borrowed so much from Ms. Marvel and what worked about that. Yeah. I would say like my overall feeling about both that series and this movie is that like, when they lean into the characters and the beautiful world they've built and how real and fleshed out those relationships and that world feels, 
it's really great. And then when they actually have to get into some of the battles and stuff, I do think the end actually works better. But some of the middle battles, I would like zone out a little bit in this movie. And I kind of had the same reaction to Ms. Marvel, the show, right? Like Uh with this, it kind of felt the same. It was like when we're living with the characters, it's great. And then I zone out a little bit as we actually get into (laughs) some of how the superpowers work, I guess, more because the the actual motivation that they, they have them and you know, the issues that come with that are part of what is good about the characters. So I think it really just borrowed from that. So in this movie, you really have people like playing off of each other. And I think like the humor also in that sense felt more organic to Mm. the characters, right? Like that kind of very specific Marvel quippiness that has like infiltrated all of the movies that used to be, I think, better kind of set with certain characters that would express it across the movies like with this they actually had a place where a lot of it was coming from and so it just felt a lot more real um whereas like i mean think ant-man and the wasp quantumania even starts with like ant-man's daughter suddenly being a lot more scientific than we ever had any reason to be (laughs) Mm -hmm. like you know so it's just it starts in a more authentic place to begin with and then i think the humor and the relationships kind of build organically out of that which just makes a world of difference yeah i think in captain marvel I got the sense that Brie Larson was having a little bit of trouble quite getting a handle on the tone of that character, whether those are her choices or directing choices or whatever. It felt a little flat to me. It felt like they were going for a particular kind of semi-emotionless thing from her. And here I feel like you get more of every time in this movie that she looks really severe and then she kind of smiles. She's such an appealing presence in this and her... Humor is really sharp. I also think for me, you know, Daisy, you talked about the battles. I always think the battles are challenging. Mm -hmm. And what freshened the battles up for me in this was that switching where when they use their powers, they switch. And I was very skeptical of it when it started because I was like, this is just going to be confusing to me and I'm not going to be able to tell who's who. I actually thought that, and you know, credit to Nia DaCosta maybe, but I think the way it's directed and edited... I actually didn't have much trouble at all telling what was going on and who was who in what time. And they make exactly some of the jokes that you would expect about how surprising it is to have this person wind up where that person was. Uh-huh. The stuff with Kamala Khan's parents is so incredibly lovely to me. They yeah. are played by Zenobia Shroff and Moen Kapoor, and they're so funny, and they go in such a great direction with them, where they are worried about her, but they're not like stereotypical don't-go-out parents they're just yeah. very warm and lovely people <laughs> well they do that in miss marvel they do right. that in yeah <laughs> but in this they're but in this they're not in this they're really nicely balanced and they actually wind up playing really well off of samuel l jackson who yeah god bless him is still i think so funny in this part and still just can absolutely kill those one-liners that they give him and thankfully you're not looking at him de-aged through the whole movie, which I thought was yeah. not a good effect <laughs> in Captain Marvel. So I I just think it works well. I think it's directed well. I think it's written well. D- is the thing sort of narratively weird at certain points? Yes, they all are. I never understand what the heck is going on in these movies by the end. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Ronald, talk to me about this version of Captain Marvel, because in the first film, Brie Larson was, as Linda said, she was kind of a badass. She was kind of a one-note fighter pilot swagger here. She goes to a more vulnerable place here. Did that work for you? I think so. I think, like, one thing I I think I'll defend a Captain Marvel and 
her characterization in that is like, you know, she was being held back. Right. Sure. Like emotionally, she was being right. held back by men. Like through that lens, it makes more sense that if you think about when we see her in this, she has a ship, she has her cat, she has her own the space. Cat. She's like living her life exactly the way that she wants, like away from everyone else. And I think that kind of lends itself perfectly to that interaction that she has with her long lost niece. Like that relationship has tension. And then there's also tension between, you know, this super fan, mm-hmm. Kamala Khan, and Carol. Danvers, which like really kind of ratchets up. It almost felt a little bit like foreshadowing. You had uh, Monica Rambeau who looked up to Carol Danvers at one point and was ended up being a little bit disappointed, let down. But you had that kind of playing out on this other level with Kamala Khan as well. But their interactions and all that, like I think that kind of uplifted Captain Marvel herself, like in this film in a way that I really enjoyed. And it really allowed us to see like the like full spectrum of Brie Larson in a way that we really didn't get to see in Captain Marvel. Yeah. And the the villain, I think, has a coherent motive. I think that's basically my my bar is, you know, I don't need the villain to be a master of the universe. I just need the villain to have a coherent motive. And I felt like the villain had a coherent motive and I understood why they were doing the things that they were doing, especially by the end. And it's like that met the bar for me. Yeah. It can't just be like evil. I don't like when they do that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And they say that Marvel films are only as good as their villains. I don't think that's true because there's been reams and reams of completely forgettable villains. But to Linda's point, I would say they're only as good as their villains' motivations. Yes. Uh, The best Marvel films have villains who aren't evil, right? But they're maybe not wrong. Now, Darben, played by Zawi Ashton, solid motivation, as everybody says. But I don't know. For me, the performance just kind of lay there. That That was a weak point in the film for me. And she's not a village for the ages. She's a villain for this small, breezy film. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. I I didn't watch Secret Invasion, and I know like some of the story of where the motivation comes from is tied to that. But they kept the part that we know about easy and understandable. But yeah, the acting itself, like I didn't love, oh. I didn't love her performance. But you know, it felt like a little bit, you know, like when um a dress is wearing someone. Like, yeah. it felt like the part yeah, was wearing her. I get that. That's a good point. I get you know? that. That's a good articulation, yeah. Let's talk about Tiana Paris's Monica Rambeau, who kind of felt, that character at least, felt kind of shoehorned into WandaVision. It's like, why are we getting a superhero origin story in this American sitcom pastiche? Uh, the actor was great, but the character kind of stuck out. Here she gets a lot more to do. Were you looking for more from her? How did she hit you guys? I loved her. I loved her, too. I loved her from beginning to end. I love being able to see her. She didn't feel shoehorned in this movie, which I thought was good. Nope. You, you know what Tiana Paris does well? She did the relationship with her long-lost aunt very well, mm-hmm. which ends up being like kind of like a good heart of that character. You know what I mean? So it doesn't really matter whether she's the best fighter or even that she has a great scientific brain, which she does. She was a good fighter and she had a great scientific brain. But like her relationship with Captain Marvel, that feat of acting was going to be important to like for the backbone of this character development. And she did that very well. And also she just like killed. Like there's one part where she's dancing and I just really enjoyed it. Like I was just like, this is great. This is great. <laughs> she's also kind of the straight man in some of the weirder set pieces mm-hmm. in a way that's fantastic, yeah. right? Because you have <laughs> Captain Marvel's character who at this point, like, she lives in space. Right. She she has left all of the things that we understand behind. You've got Kamala Khan, who's, you know, young teenager, still figuring out her powers, still living at home with her parents in Jersey City. So it makes sense that Kamala's a little more excited and just kind of like, wow, about these things. And then you've got Monica being like, what? No. Yep. Like, in a way yep. that right. really works. 
Yep, she's kind of the steadying presence in their trio for a lot of it. And I think her arc makes sense to me. Her choices make sense to me. And I think that, you know, as you say, Daisy, the relationship that she has with Carol, it grounds it a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, the question that a lot of people are asking, we've been kind of kind of circling, is how much do you think people need to worry about being caught up on the MCU before you see this film? Because, again, this is bringing in lots of things. But when uh, Captain Marvel meets Monica Rambeau again, and how'd you get powers? And she says, oh, I went through electromagnetic blah, 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 with a witch hex. <laughs> Three seconds of exposition is all you need yep. because it doesn't matter where the powers come it from. It matter. just matters what's going to happen. So what do you guys think? I think it's like if, you, if you've been following along the MCU – and you already watched WandaVision and Miss Marvel, arguably two of the better shows mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. iteration of yeah. Marvel, then I think you're you're going to be fine. If you haven't, then Linda obviously liked it. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing that I would say is that if you feel like you need to watch something before this and you've already watched Captain Marvel, watch Miss Marvel. Yeah. Miss Marvel is a, a delight to watch. Mm-hmm. You're going to enjoy it. Yeah, it actually deserves your time. Yeah. Yeah, and you get enough like rhythm that you'll understand the movie when you get in there. Yeah, and I I had kind of, I was saying to Glenn at this screening, like I had kind of fallen out a little bit of being able to really keep up with the MCU because at the beginning for a long time, I was a big fan of this franchise. I saw all the movies. um, Mm -hmm. But when they kind of started to stack on a lot of TV shows that brought in their own stuff, I just started to feel like I never have any idea what's going on. And nevertheless, Mm -hmm. there are not a lot of those moments where where it's like, oh, this person and the whole audience goes, ooh, and you sit there going, I have no idea who that is, mm-hmm. which <laughs> happens to me in Marvel movies all the time, especially in post-credit scenes. Yes. I mm-hmm. often have to elbow Glenn and be like, I don't know who that is. Tell me who mm-hmm. that is. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't really, but sometimes it happens throughout the movie and it didn't happen throughout the movie here. I understood exactly what was going on as well as I would have having watched yeah. every every movie, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I think like if you have the time, watch Ms. Marvel because it's good. But otherwise, like, you the only thing you kind of need to have seen is Captain Marvel. And even then, I think like as long as you understand that they've reached the point where they're dealing with space at this point, <laughs> you don't actually need to have watched that whole movie. Yeah, actually, when when Glenn was doing the intro and he was saying, oh, Nick Fury now runs Saber, which is a space station that like monitors aliens. I was like. Oh, is that what that is? Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know that 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 space station is funny. They've dropped it in several parts. And I'm and I now that I'm thinking about it, watching this movie, knowing that Saber existed did not add anything. Exactly. There is so much about this stuff here that you can just kind of wave your hand and say a wizard did it, and it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I was like Nick Fury's yes. in space. Sure. That's where he works now. That's what he does. That's who he is. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope the word of mouth, uh, we're, we're computing to good word of mouth this thing. I hope it overtakes the uh, bad buzz that came out beforehand because I think this is a fun little movie. Tell us what you think about the Marvels. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How, how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. 
Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR. Now it is time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Ronald, kick us off. What's making you happy this week, sir? So Netflix has has recently been licensing a lot of pretty good shows and movies uh, recently. Like, you know, Insecure popped up on there. And, of course, we talked about Suits and Ballers was on there and just stuff that, like, kind of made me nostalgic. Uh, there was a, a romantic comedy that came out on Netflix from 2019 called Long Shot. Yes. Uh, it stars Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen. This is one of my favorite romantic comedies. Uh, I saw it in theaters, and it's one of the most charming movies, I think. And, and most of the charm is done by Charlize Theron. I think Seth Rogen is great in it. But he's just like Seth Roganing. Yeah. He's just Seth Roganing. What Charlize Theron is doing in this movie is really drawing you in and being charming and being powerful. And they switch the power dynamic between the man and the woman which kind of just puts this movie like just gives it a lot of opportunity in terms of like redefining the like romantic comedy genre and like as someone who just really enjoys romance generally and enjoys watching romantic comedies when they're good this is one of those films that i think does that so that's long shot on netflix excellent thank you very much ronald daisy what is making you happy this week so um There's a book that came out earlier this year, but I didn't actually start to read it until it got a little bit more to school starting time, leaves falling off the trees time. And it's called True True, and it's by Don P. Hooper. It's a YA book. It's about a young, like, Black Caribbean teenager from Brooklyn who gets a partial scholarship to go to, like, an all-white prep school in Manhattan, which is... Again, you know, I waited for back to school time to read it. Full disclosure, Don P. Hooper is somebody I used to perform with, but I literally haven't seen him in years. Um, I was just excited to see him post about his book earlier this year. So I finally checked it out. I mean, it's really lovely. Um, One of the things that, you know, Don and I always had in common is that we are both from Brooklyn and come from Caribbean families. Mm -hmm. So there was just a lot of beautiful scene painting and, you know, just really painting a picture of especially like Flatbush before the full-on gentrification. So definitely check this book out. It's called True True, and it's by Don P. Hooper, and you can get it, you know, all the places that you get books. Excellent, excellent. Linda Holmes, what is making you happy this week? What is making me happy this week? I come to you, as I sometimes have, I admit, in the past, to sing the praises of the great Sola L. Whaley, who is one of my absolute favorite people to watch doing food TV and food video. She does Mm -hmm. stuff for the History Channel, uh, for New York Times, for other places you can find her here and there. She's an absolutely, to me, delightful presence. And she has a new gigantic book out that is called Start Here. It's not just a bunch of recipes. She kind of is doing lessons about how to cook better and how to think about food and how to think about cooking. She's also just always kind of fun and funny, but not in like a sweaty way, just in a Mm -hmm. general, she's just fun to listen to her talk. But there are also a couple of very specific things that I noticed about this book that I think are 
attentive to the fact that people use it while cooking. One of the things that you notice as you get older is that cookbooks have tiny print. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you're in the kitchen mm-hmm. trying to cook and it's like you're squinting at the thing. It has bigger type mm-hmm. and especially it has big fat page numbers. There are also a couple places where I specifically think somebody involved in designing this book, whether it was her or somebody on her team, thought like, let's make a book that is useful in the way you actually want to use it, which is it's going to yeah. be in your kitchen while you're cooking. You want to be able to look at the recipe and you don't want to have to change glasses <laughs> back and forth between your reading glasses and your other glasses because the tape is so small. Anyway, the great Sola <laughs> L. Whaley, she's a great one. And the book is called Start Here. Thank you very much, Linda. Great pick. Um, what's making me happy this week is a movie called Fingernails. Ostensibly, it's a romantic comedy drama, but I think if you go into it with those expectations, you're going to get a little frustrated because in this film, there is a procedure, a test, that uh, scientifically determines if you're meant to be with your partner. And that test involves each of you removing a fingernail and inserting them into this uh, big old kind of 70s machine. And it's uh, Jesse Buckley and Jeremy Allen White as the couple who have gone through the procedure and now they're settled. And they're like, we've done it. We're good. We're good for life. But then Buckley takes a job at a place that administers this test and trains couples on how to pass it, which is a source of some comedy. But also working there is the soulful and beautiful Riz Ahmed. And here's where you see the complication in the movie. Um, (laughs) It's written and directed by Christos Niku. Um, And there is a really compelling tone to this movie. It is very spare and very chilly and very kind of deadpan on the surface. But underneath it, bubbling just underneath this, is this very intriguing and weirdly subversive contempt for things like settling in a relationship and monogamy and the whole notion of love as this public act. Um, None of the main characters are queer, but man, the film itself, its approach, its outlook, its sensibility uh, very much is. Don't think it sticks the landing, but your mileage may vary on that. That is Fingernails, which is in theaters and is streaming on Apple TV+. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter, And that brings us to the end of our show. Ronald Young Jr., Daisy Rosario, Linda Holmes, thank you all for being here. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathama and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. And Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top-10 commercial bank, A dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. On NPR's Throughline. 
we cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.